This is Ecosystem North, Episode 2, Will Kitchen, Monona State University, recorded August 3rd, 2020. So welcome to Ecosystem North. I'm Jamie Sunsbach. Each week, Ecosystem North shines a spotlight on the people and organizations that support our region's entrepreneurs, uncovering the real story of what inspires and drives them to be entrepreneurial champions. And speaking of champions, rarely have I found a person who I haven't really known for too long, but instantly felt a connection to. He's one of those rare connectors and motivators that you run across in, in ecosystems very rarely. Um, so I wanted to make sure that he was my next guest here on Ecosystem North. So it's my extreme pleasure to welcome Will Kitchen, who is the Director of Innovative Community Engagement at Startup Winona State. Welcome, Will. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for your kind words. So what we like to do is uh, just jump in and learn a little bit about uh, your background and how you got to basically where you are today. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Certainly. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to be brief. I've had multiple careers and I, I grew up in Maine and eventually came out to the Midwest to go to school. But since since coming to the Minnesota, Southeast Minnesota area, really kind of fallen in love with it. So what have I done? I've taught K through 12. I've been an academic librarian. I was a children's librarian. I was a cable television advisory consultant. I was uh, a lobbyist in Washington, D.C. I was a sales guy for U.S. West Communications. I was 16 years with IBM. I sold waffles, Belgian waffles, all over the world. Now I'm, I'm working at Winona State for the first time in academia. So do you think uh, having that sort of diverse job experience uh, really helps uh, inform the role that you have right now with uh, entrepreneurs or future entrepreneurs? Oh, absolutely, Jamie. This is, you know, because every time someone comes to me with an idea, whether it's a student, a staff person, faculty, or community person, I never know what it's going to be. So I have to kind of be agile to figure out what it is and learn enough about it so that I can be helpful. I'll never be an expert, and that's kind of the way I like it. But yeah, it keeps me... It keeps me focused because once I get to the point where I'm too comfortable, then I get bored. So then I have to go into something else. You don't want me to run anything for very long. You want me to create something. So, yeah, this has been extremely helpful. It fits my personality. So I know also um, you did spend some time uh, working with IBM in India. Um, So there's also... I think something that I really appreciate about you is you bring a much broader perspective, not only in your experience in the in in different, very different uh, jobs and careers, but also this sort of global perspective. So, could you tell us a few things you learned while uh, working with IBM and working with uh, working in India? Sure, uh, IBM was very good to me. I, I'll have to admit they they allowed me to do almost. Well, to change jobs almost every few years, and it was it was wonderful. So when I went to India, I was general manager of learning and leadership development for 30,000 Indian employees. It was a subsidiary of uh, IBM at the time. I had to Google what, what this whole position was after I was offered the job because I had no idea what I was doing. I, what I love about it, you know, I spent five years in India, almost a year in China, four years in Belgium, and then all over the U.S. And what that has helped me do is live with other cultures and and be, to some extent, being uh, uh, uncomfortable where I'm living for a while until I got used to it. 
and it made me appreciate a lot of things. And it also helps me with dealing with students and, 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 and the community people that I deal with who, who may not be from the United States originally. And they come to, come to me with ideas and then I can I try to relate to where they're coming from and, and why they're doing what they're doing. So it, it's, it was phenomenal. It was, it was the perfect gig for me just to be able to travel and do different things. Can I tell you a 10 second story? Sure. Okay. This is an I, IBM India story. So I was late for an IBM meeting. One of the few times I had to wear a suit and I walked into, <laughs> I think it was the, the, the IBM, I don't know, Marriott uh, in Delhi. And I opened the door and I walked in and boom, I ran into this guy, grabbed him by the shoulders before he fell down, bald head, maroon robe and I, I look at him and I go you're the and he goes he, 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 he. it was the Dalai Lama so now you're interviewing <laughs> someone who almost knocked out the Dalai Lama <laughs> well, I have to now refer to you as the infamous Will Kitchen absolutely wow now that that laugh is what gives it away I know uh, a few times I've been uh, you know the Dalai Lama um, you know does uh, or at least in the past has done a lot of medical work or here at Mayo so there are opportunities to sort of uh, be near him. And, and that laugh is what always I remember when I, when I've heard it, it's just, it's, it's, it's just very, very distinct. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That was pretty, pretty amazing. And then the next thing I know, two big guys moved me aside. <laughs> <laughs> so another thing you said that I, I've been really, really interested in is the whole Belgian waffle thing. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me a little bit about that. I, I'm so curious about it because I just can't, I can't like picture you doing something like that. <laughs> so I just, I just really want to learn more. Sure, sure. Uh, well, it was, um, I had to take mandatory retirement in India at 58. And it, it was, I, I was, I actually became an IBM India employee. I gave up my U.S. Uh, employment. So I didn't know what I was going to do. My, my late wife was from Belgium. She was a professional actress, film and theater director there. The family had always wanted us to come back and, and live in Belgium. So we decided to move back, from go from India to Belgium. And my son-in-law was in the process of buying the largest Belgian waffle company in the world. And because of my last name, uh, <laughs> I, you know, my vast knowledge and experience in the food industry, I became his COO and uh, chief sales guy. So I was selling Belgian waffles and franchises all over the U.S., uh, excuse me, all over the world. And uh, so I got the chance to work in uh, Japan, in Ukraine, in Russia, in China, in all over, the, all over Europe. And it was, again, amazing experience. I mean, when you have an AK-47 pulled on one of your franchise owners in Ukraine because you weren't you weren't paying bakshish or you know under the table money, you go, hey, this I'm not in Kansas anymore. And, <laughs> wow. and, it, and it, so I, I did that, and I just love. I mean, I loved it. I, I I was traveling constantly, but then uh, I decided I wanted to come back to the U.S. Maggie wanted to come back to the U.S. And so I gave that up and came back here. Oh, that's just incredible. I, I, I think we should do a whole podcast of just Will's stories. <laughs> <laughs> we could document them all for posterity because 
I, I just, it, it, that's why I think, you know, when I, when I said in my, my earlier remarks that I felt that you're a very rare individual for at least this, this area is, I think it really has to do because you have that worldly knowledge, you have that expertise and you can feel it. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to get into like a real room together uh, in many, many months due to COVID. But, you know, I just, I've always felt that when I sit down with you, I'm just like, this is a guy that knows a lot. And then it's not the lack of hair or gray hair. It's just <laughs> that sense of, I, I, this is, this is someone who has an amazing experience. So in life and is able to then bring that into their current position, which is a great segue into what you're doing now at Winona State University. Yeah, I, I was originally asked one year ago to take over what was called the Warrior Innovate Challenge, which was a once a year $10,000 uh, pitch competition. And when I was asked to take this over, I said, I don't, I don't really want to do that because I'm not very good at doing those type of things. But I, I, I also felt that we didn't have an ecosystem set up. It was like the students would compete. You'd give somebody a $10,000 check and they would leave. And I'm not casting aspersions at anybody. It was just that's the way it was designed and that's just the way it was. And I felt, well, there should be follow-up because you don't give somebody, a, you don't give an entrepreneur a bunch of money and say, go forth and do whatever you want to do. And they know what they're going to, you know, they're going to need help at some point. So I said, I wanted to change the name. I wanted to change the whole process. I, I, I started doing mini grants from $100 up to $1,500 for students who have ideas. And if they're working on an idea in class, maybe they, they need you know, a little bit of money to take it to that next level. And then I wanted to network students. I, I, I want them, number one, be fearless in their networking and be fearless in terms of sharing an idea. I'm not expecting anybody to build a new company, the next unicorn, in two semesters. Hey, if it happened, outstanding. And it's probably because of me. <laughs> but ser no, seriously, I, I, if that happens, great. But I want students to be able to take an idea, and, and I can help them take it as far as they want to. And then if they said, okay, I, I just don't want to take it any further, that's fine. But they've learned a process along the way. And that if they want to come back to it or if they have another idea, then they, they can do that. So I'm all about just helping students with ideas, helping faculty with ideas, helping staff. I have community people coming to me all the time. As I just said to you earlier uh, before the call, I've got a, a student from Winona State who's from Rochester who wants to start a business. And I'm probably going to connect you to her so that we can take it further because that's what an ecosystem does. It's about sharing ideas and sharing information and providing assistance if needed. And, and that's what students really desperately need. They need to be able to try things in a safe environment, which is what the university should be. And I don't believe in failure. You know, if something doesn't work the way it was supposed to, well, that's called experience. That's called learning. You know, the sun will come up tomorrow morning if you make a mistake. Learn from it. I get grumpy if you make the same mistake three times in a row. Then I go, you know, you're not listening or you're not paying attention to this. So it's all about that experience. It, it's, there's nothing magical about it. I can't teach this, I don't think. I, I think it's just to develop the environment, the culture of innovation and creativity. 
my sort of origin story going back to, you know, 15 years ago of, of moving to Rochester with a tiny little micro proto company that I was working on and, and instantly not feeling connected in, not feeling like I had a network, um, being actively discouraged from doing what I'm doing because it seems risky and it seems like uh, that's too Silicon Valley or that's too Boston for, for Rochester. So yeah, ecosystem. And I love what you said about students being able to have this experience while they're in school to make a lot of mistakes that could be a lot more costly in the future for them um, and learning that. And then so when they move on to that next company or they are a couple years down post-graduation, you know, they're not going to make those mistakes. They're going to push forward. They're going to remember that sense of community and try to be an active community member in whatever community they're in. You know, Bradfeld calls that, you know, give first. And I think that, you know, if you can instill that in a community that uh, it's amazing when I go to places like Salt Lake or, or Boulder, Colorado or Kansas City, you meet random people in like coffee shops and stuff like that. And you'll start talking to them about some stuff. And they're like, well, how can I help you? And that's something that, you know, if I had to uh, encapsulate a lot of what you just said and what I would hope is what we're thinking about here in, in, in the region, training people to start with that. Like, I want to know more about you and now how can I help you? And then following up on it, obviously. Those are just really powerful concepts that get in many ways overshadowed by process and structure and silos and all this stuff. And I think if people just took that approach, that give first and, and just, just you never know how it's going to come back and, and pay back in the future and you'll never really understand it until it does. So Exactly. I, I, for instance, I, I wish that I had had a collider back when I was in my middle to late 20s because I started a, a business. It was a telecommunications company and you're going to laugh. It was for distance learning back in the early 80s. You were ahead of your time. I, I, a little bit, a little bit. And we put in the Did first Did you have to five. use telephones? Fax <laughs> <laughs> oh, machines? Oh, don't, 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 don't get me into stories now. Uh, <laughs> we were drumming on uh, logs. <laughs> but we put in the first fiber optics between or among school districts in Minnesota. Well, actually, probably in the country. And we had no idea what we were doing. But it worked for, for two-way video. I, but I wish I'd had an ecosystem, a collider, uh, a college program, because I, yeah, I started it. I ran it for seven years and I did okay. And then I sold it and I probably didn't sell it for enough. I probably made all kinds of mistakes along the way. And if I had stayed in distance learning, I might be doing a little bit better today financially or not. You never know. But it's that that support system that we all need when we have an idea. Yeah. Something that I think you've become known for in our region is one word and that's interns. Um, <laughs> I, I swear like you're, you're, you're the equivalent of one of those people that, you know, eighties, New York city that, you know, you go around uh, into a dusty old alley and you, someone opens up their coat and there's a bunch of watches. That's how I get the feeling sometimes it's like, Hey, need an intern. Yeah, um, <laughs> So, <laughs> so could you could you explain why you think the internship process is so critical to a student's development and its potential contribution to the entrepreneurial ecosystem? 
great question. And I'll just start it. I started doing this in June, uh, maybe end of May. And I've placed almost 20 interns and I found jobs for probably, depending on who gets accepted, between two and four of uh, former one state students. And it was because with COVID, students were coming to me and saying, you know, Will, I've lost my internship. My job was rescinded. My, you know, I can't find a job. I can't find an internship. And I thought, well, I'll just crank up the network. And, you know, I, I got people that I can talk to and, you know, they've got a lot of good programs. And these were typically non-Winona State connection. They, they were organizations that, you know, for no, no fault of anybody, just hadn't been used. And I opened it up and man, I've got organizations and businesses are saying, we love your students. Can we have more? And the students are saying, these are wonderful opportunities. So to answer your question, students need experiential learning. I am, and, I, and there are going to be a thousand academics out there who are going to skewer me. I don't believe that you have an entrepreneur program and the first thing you do is take 37 credits of whatever, and then you become an entrepreneur. What you have to do is you have to take an idea, start an idea, build an idea, and then you figure out, do you have the attitude and the aptitude to be in this really unusual situation? It is a career, but but a lot of people don't see it as a career. I believe that the student taking that idea along will all of a sudden say, now I know why I need to take that finance class. Now I know why I need to take that marketing class. You don't know you need it until you need it. And then if you say, okay, cool, I like this. This is good. I see how it helps me. Great. But if you say, oh, man, I don't want to do this anymore. This is not fun. This, is, this hurts when I do this. Then you know you're not an entrepreneur, at least at that point in time. So the businesses, the nonprofits, the civic organizations, whoever it might be, they get these, these brilliant young people that just they're untethered from classroom. And I don't, again, not a negative comment. They're just, they're brimming with passion and, and energy. And they want to take what they've learned in the class and take it out and change the world. We can give them that opportunity. And businesses and everybody else who uses the interns will find that, that it's, it's kind of like a breath of fresh air. It's not just cheap labor. That's a bad way of looking at it. If, if, you're, if you're going into an internship just to get a student to fold papers and paper clip them together and deliver them and make coffee, forget about it. You don't want an intern at all. You're, 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 you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt the student. So normally a question I ask, within the last six months, what's been a real bright spot? Maybe you highlighted that with your interns, but is there something else you can think of that's, that's really emerged that uh, may be just a bright spot, something that, that we should know about, but we probably maybe don't. I think the internship is definitely one. I also think, and I'm going to paraphrase what someone has said, you never let a good crisis go to waste. I'm not seeing enough of this, but I'm starting to see some of it where people are breaking down barriers. They're breaking down turf. You know, they're opening up and saying, hey, you know, Rochester isn't so bad. Maybe we should be able to court collaborate with with you know with Rochester or Winona doesn't like Rochester. That that's just crazy talk. That's just that's you know bad history. So I'm seeing some of that breakdown, and or maybe it's just 
you know, I, I've got rose-colored glasses on. But I see that we are looking more of a regional concept to work together. That's a bright spot. I'm seeing that all of these Zoom meetings that we're beginning to, you know, go, oh, man, not another day of Zoom meetings. But you know what? It's, it's increasing our access to each other. I, I can probably, in our conversation, yeah, and I know it's not the same, and, you know, people are going to say it's like distance learning versus in-class stuff. It's not the same. You get, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But this is, or I should say, and this is where we are. We have to use the tools we have based upon the situation, and I think we're starting to benefit from that, and that's a good thing. Now, I'm going to do a flip side, if I may. Yep. What I see is not so positive is I see all these, you know, we've got a lot of things started and people go, yeah, go ahead. This is great. Go ahead. And you turn around and you, you, you hear crickets and you see tumbleweeds going down the street because where did everybody go? Where's everybody who wants to support this? And I think that comes from, you know, COVID fatigue. I think it's, you know, they're worried about their businesses. They're worried about their families. They're worried about their health and all that, but we shouldn't stop doing things. We shouldn't stop pushing to make things better. I was on a call the other day and somebody said, well, maybe, maybe your idea is just too big. Maybe we have to take it really small and then we have to wait. And I'm going, wait, what are we waiting for? Something else to fail, something else to not work. We have to try things. We have to get out there and really push, push, push. So I definitely think that a lot of, you know, the, the first part of what you were saying, the bright spot, um, we're seeing a lot of, a lot more collaboration, which is great. Um, I would say my own flip side of that is I still don't know if we're listening to the entrepreneurs themselves. And my, my biggest fear is always creating another silo of, you know, organizations that say they're supporting entrepreneurs, but we're not actually inviting entrepreneurs to the table to help design something based on their needs. So that's, that's something that I think we need to work on. But I think the fact that even different organizations that I would have encountered even five years ago when I became active, or eight years ago, actually now, wow, I'm old, in the ecosystem, now they're starting to come together and having those conversations. That's very positive. Uh, but to your you know, latter point, you know, a lot of those organizations will say they're supportive, will understand, okay, that's a great plan, disappear. But I would say they disappear until there's some modicum of success and then they reappear and re-engage. So, it's kind of that, okay, will you take the ball down the field? I'll, I'll just uh, slowly walk up the sideline and kind of watch you. And if you fall, well, you know, I can walk the other way. If you, if you, but if you're, you're getting towards the end zone, maybe I'll show up and I'll be there at the end cheerleading and saying, yeah, all right, we did it, we did it. And it's, it's tough for organizations that are moving the ball forward to deal with those situations. But at the same time, I, I still am always, you know, if someone wants to then collaborate and push stuff forward after that, I, I got to be okay with that. But sometimes it's just so hard to, to see that, especially because I think of a lot of us that are in this business of ecosystem system building, we've been entrepreneurs or we've at least been exposed to entrepreneurs enough to do what we do. 
that is just not the way that community building is very tough for entrepreneurs because they're very individualistic, even though if you take a step back and I've worked with some entrepreneurs on this concept is how many people helped you? How many people stepped up with the right connections? How many people floated you alone when you needed it or, or whatever? So it really does take this, this ecosystem to raise an entrepreneur. But at the same time, that entrepreneurial thinking is just like heads down, move forward. I don't need people to help me. They kind of deal with that duality of trying to build community, but still trying to just push forward and get things done and not, not be led by a bureaucracy, I guess is what I'm saying. There's my soapbox. Oh, very nice. And, and there's one piece of that that I'd like to highlight. And it's that the whole word term entrepreneur, I think it's a big problem for us. Number one, most people can't spell it. And then those who can't spell it can't say it. But then when we define it, we define it so narrowly. You know, oh, it's only this type of business that's entrepreneurial or it's only for profit. It's not, it's not social entrepreneurship. It's not, it's not the small business. It's not the, the person, the mom and pop on Main Street. These are all entrepreneur. They're all entrepreneurial ventures. They're, do, they're, they're using the same skills. They're taking the same risks. They have the same needs. It's all the same. And, I, and it makes me crazy that we, we narrowly focus, oh, we're only going to work with this type of entrepreneur. And we're only going to work with that. No, we should be working with all of them because at some point in time, the social entrepreneurs are part of the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Mom and pop, restaurants, whatever they might be, uh, laundries, uh, music venues, uh, whatever. These are all part of the ecosystem. They, they're what attract and retain the entrepreneur. And the uh, childcare worker who has 15 or 20 children, entrepreneur. Bravest entrepreneur ever, by the way. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Artists, entrepreneurs, we need to be supporting them all. Then I think we'll have, we won't have as many, and I hate to use the word tribes because that's overused now, but there won't be so many factions. Because to your point, we need a community to understand entrepreneurs, understand that everybody who's doing all the things that were just mentioned are in the same boat and need the same support. Once we, once we figure that out, then everybody's going to be helping everybody else. Building on that a bit, thinking about, I mean, I think you've highlighted some of it, but, you know, in the next, say, 10 years, what's your vision for entrepreneurship here in the region? Like, what would you like to see? What would be the ideal state that uh, you, would, you would love to see as a result of all the work from various ecosystem builders and entrepreneurs over the next 10 years? Oh, what a wonderful question. I, I'm going to flail a little bit when I, when I answer, because uh, I don't have a great answer to it. I think it should be collaborative, bigger than your community. Com- the, the, the whole definition of community has to change. It has to get bigger. Because there's, coll- and again, you and I have talked about this. You have Rochester. Rochester is our hub for Southeast Minnesota. No, no, nothing wrong with that. Its focus is pretty narrow. I mean, you've got Mayo and you had IBM. I mean, you've, so you've got the medical focus. You've got that high-tech focus. Although you and I both know there's other things going on, you know, around that. But that's, that's how it's looked at. Winona looked at as a manufacturing community with a universe with actually two universities and a tech and a community college. Not bad for a small town of 25,000, but together 
we're so much stronger. You know, it's maybe your high tech company needs a carbon fiber manufacturing entity. We've got those. Maybe, maybe you need interns. I've got interns. <laughs> uh, but it's, I, I think it has to be more regional, more collaborative, wider definition, and where we start at the middle school of working with our students to develop the skills that will help them whether or not they choose to become an entrepreneur. And then the pipeline starts to fill up. Okay, so that's developing the entrepreneur culture. Then we, our ecosystem has to expand to look at uh, workforce housing, childcare, uh, healthcare options, all the things necessary that will retain or attract young people or uh, I would say immigrants, people of color, women, who we all need to get more involved in the entrepreneurial world because they're, you know, what is it? One in every four entrepreneurs comes from another country. Mm -hmm. Well, gosh, let's, let's work with them. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's a great thing. So I think it has to be all of that. We have to be more welcoming. We have to be more comprehensive in our approach. We have to be more collaborative. So I guess that would be my, my utopia. No, I, I like the vision. Um, a couple of things there. One is uh, we had a great uh, speaker at our first startup weekend here in Rochester. And they said, if you learn nothing out of this week, learn to look for opportunity, assess it, and decide to act on it. And, and the other piece of that, I think, is not only helping people identify and look for opportunities, but the second piece is giving them enough opportunity to explore the field of entrepreneurship, if, if you can call it a field, to know if it's for them or not. You know, shows like Shark Tank and, and you hear about all these success stories, you pick up a copy of Fast Company or something like that. You're always hearing about success. And, you know, one of the metrics we've started looking at in Collider is if we hold these education sessions and when we do a follow-up survey and we say, you know, we try to ask and be intentional about saying, you know, why did you drop the class? Why did you, you know, what did you think about the class? And if they can come back and say, you know, I looked at this and it wasn't for me, I, I consider that as big of a win as helping to start the next great unicorn startup. Because for me, you know, that's someone's life. And that if, if this isn't for them, then you saved potentially their marriage their house, their relationship with their children, just years and years of misery if they just really don't have the passion. But at the same time, I think you have to realize that these people are inventive and innovative and at least are thinking in those ways, identifying opportunities. So can you pair them with the right person? Can you can you find some great interns to take their idea and make that a reality? Because let's be honest, some of these ideas need to be out there. I mean, we can show a market analysis that says they should be out there. And I hate when things die on the vine. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, I, but I think you made a great point. And it's that when you think about the individuals, you, you go, oh, I've got this young person who just sent me a, 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 a rough business plan. The first thing I think about is not how am I going to make this beneficial to my organization? The first thought I had was, 
who is going to help this person better than I can? And I immediately thought of you because number one, oh, I mean, it, it's it, this is the way my brain thinks. This young person is from Rochester. She happened to go to Winona State. Now she's looking to develop a, a business plan. You've probably built more business plans or been around them than I have. So I, I'm going to take a look at it. Look at it. I know enough to be dangerous. I can get her to the next level. But then I want. I don't want her to be stymied or limited by my lack of knowledge. My benefit, my what, what I can do for young people is that I have the connections to send them to the right place. And I think that's part of what you're talking about. It's, it's to be able to evaluate, hey, this is, this is a good thing. Who can help that person better than I can? Yep, absolutely. So we're getting near the end of our time, just oh. mostly because my battery's about dead, but I think I got it on the charger now, so life is a little bit better. This is what happens when you get a new camera. You don't know how it works. So you've told us a lot of things that I think people who, who maybe have met you a couple of times do not know, but uh, we always ask at the end, uh, near our closing is, is what, what's another thing in your case that maybe people don't know about you that would be uh, rather unique. So last week, uh, you know, Amanda, uh, who was on the podcast said that from an early age, she, uh, she's always wanted to train Shamu. And that was just like, you know, I've worked with Amanda for probably five or six years and I never knew that, you know, that early experience at SeaWorld really, really, uh, became a big deal for her. So what's that one thing that, you know, people might not know about you that uh, maybe we can uh, make fun of for the next six months oh, as we're on man. calls together? <laughs> plenty, plenty of things. Can I give you three things? Yeah. Okay. Number one, I used to own a radio station. My, my late wife and I had a radio station in Wisconsin, WHTL 102.3 FM on your radio dial. Wisconsin's Heartland. We ran it for seven years. and my wife did a great job. I did nothing. They, they stopped me from doing commercials. So num <laughs> num number two, because my wife was a professional actress, when I first met her, she was a uh, leading lady in a Belgian soap opera. When she came to America and we started uh, a professional theater, we, we helped start the Great River Shakespeare Festival and the Frozen River Film Festival and Live at the Levy. So a, a, a couple nonprofits in, in our, our background as startups. She got me involved in acting. So the first play she did, my role was to push out the magic box, and all you could see was my hand. So that was my that was my first start. And then I was in two feature length films that she did, and a couple plays where I had one line, and the line was, "What's the problem here?" And I was always portrayed as a drunk. <laughs> so, <laughs> So there you go. Uh, those, those are my, my things that not many people know about. Wow, that's, that's really cool. Um, and I think, you know, that's another piece of, if I'm, if I'm dissecting what makes Will Will, you know, that, that piece uh, I think a lot of us and a lot of entrepreneurs need is, is that creative, artistic piece. And I know we, uh, we have a, a series coming up very, very soon uh, with uh, Natalie Nixon, who's really an expert on creativity and a lot of what, you know, she says and, and others is you really do have, and Steve Jobs famously said, you know, it's, it's this, it's this uh, you know, this nice cross between art and humanities and, and technology and research. And if you could find that sweet spot, 
that's what really triggers the next big innovation. Yeah. And, and put yourself out there. You, you don't know what you can't do until you try it. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> I, I have been, uh, yep, been doing that a lot in the last few years. Our last question is, if you could name you know, just one person or one organization uh, who's doing great work but to support entrepreneurs in our region, but maybe is not broadly known, um, and I always say you cannot say me or Collider, but just who's doing good work that maybe others should really know more about? Boy, I want to say Garrett Liefering. Yep. I, I think this is a young man that he's got the instincts, he's, he's got the passion, he's got the ideas, and he's really starting to build his network. And I think that he will be a force in the entrepreneurial world in the next 10 years. Yep, totally agree. Um, I know Garrett as well, and he's uh, he's a go-getter. He he makes things happen. He doesn't wait, and that's uh, that's something that I've admired for for a long time. I mean, I I probably way overanalyze and sit on my butt too long, and he acts, you know, and he doesn't. He's not afraid to pick up a phone or go knock on the door, and and that's such an amazing quality in you know a founding team that's going to do something revolutionary. So. Yeah. Totally agree. Uh, he's a huge asset for our community. So to close, uh, where can people find you besides your house right now? Okay. Willard.kitchen at winona.edu is probably the easiest. Can I give my phone number? If you want. Five I don't know zero- if you should, but. <laughs> oh, you know. Hey, you're going to talk to somebody. Five, yeah, they can text me or call me 507 four, five, nine, six, nine, nine, seven. And yeah, I'm pretty easy to get. Awesome. Thank you so much, Will, for taking the time to share your story and thanks for what you do for our region. Well, thank you, Jamie. And I thank you and Collider and everybody else in the E1 network for, you know, really doing some great stuff. Thank you. Thanks so much to Will for taking the time to share his story and wisdom with us all. Have a question or comment on the podcast? Please email us at hello at collider.mn and include Ecosystem North on the subject line. Please help us out by subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. You want to see the video version of this podcast? The easiest way to find it is to go to our online storytelling platform, Rochester Rising, at www.rochesterrising.org and the newest episode should be right there on the page. Ecosystem North is a production of Collider, a nonprofit based in Rochester, Minnesota. Collider supports our local entrepreneurs and small businesses with innovative events, education, space, and storytelling to help foster an inclusive, diverse, and healthy entrepreneurial ecosystem. Until next time, everyone, go help an entrepreneur out. <laughs>